time for the Granite Truth final episode. Please welcome your host, David Ennis. Hello and welcome to Grain of Truth, the show where the truth fades out into nothingness. <laughs> Jesus, your, that's grim. <laughs> your grains of truth today. Business shirts in the kingdom of Hyrule come with cufflinks. Yes. <laughs> Zelda reference. Oh. <laughs> Poirot's long drawn out speeches are known as Belgian waffles. When you want to play classical music at full volume, you just crank the handle. (laughs) And finally, the bitchy lamp was always throwing shade. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) To introduce our panellists for the episode, it's over to our resident scorekeepers, the Boffins. Yes, thank you, David. From the University of Melbourne, Melbourne campus, representing literature, it's Tim Redmond. From Murdoch University, Perth campus, representing the zoo, it's Michelle Nussie. From the Queensland Conservatorium, Griffith University, Queensland campus, representing music, it's Matthew Hadgraft. And from the University of Tasmania, Launceston campus, representing monsters, it's Scott McAteer. The rules of grain of truth are simple, but you all know that by now. Points are awarded to the panellists for their responses to the ridiculously absurd questions, scenarios and topics. Whoever has the most points wins the coveted Grain of Truth Prize, which this week is 126 million viewers. Take that, MASH. (laughs) (laughs) Bitter till the very end. (laughs) Now, before we begin the quiz, here's a small challenge for everybody. Can you name the Grain of Truth that connects all four of our panellists' topics? That's literature, the zoo, music and monsters. And we'll come to the answer at the end, but I will give you a clue... The end of time itself. But we'll start with... Thank you, pantomime audience. I much appreciate it. Uh, But we'll start with round one, which is called Right Said Ted. Each panellist must deliver a 90-second Ted-style presentation relating to a theme. At 60 seconds, they'll hear this noise. And at the 90-second mark, they'll hear this noise, at which they must, you know, eventually wrap up, I suppose. Uh, Whoever uses their special skills to present on the theme the best, get the points. The theme of this TED presentation is the end of time itself. (laughs) We start with Tim Redmond representing literature, talking about the end of time itself. (laughs) Tim, your time begins now. Thank you, David. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Endings make us think of beginnings. This is natural. And I cast back to when my first TED Talk and the first grain of truth when I cast aside my uh, long literary rant to rant about a gentleman up in a cafe who instead of saying hello to me when I ordered a coffee just screamed the word ROCKSTAR at me. (laughs) What proceeded was a a TED Talk worthy of an angry AM caller with occasional references to Anton Chekhov to give it some sort of literary gravitas. And that has continued and will continue today. Um, we, we crave endings. Endings remind us of beginnings. We crave endings because they give us context, the actual ability to measure time, how far we have come and where we are and where we may head, which is why books exist. Uh, outside of the author's job to untether the impossible complexity of existential uh, angst, uh, why do we desire what we fear? Why do we push away what is good? Why am I, me? Why are you, you? Why are we, we? I'm going long, David. You can ring that thing all you like. <laughs> 
For a book is, in fact, a physical embodiment of time. You can literally hold and know how much, we have, how much longer we have together and you can dread that final page. And once inside, you actually can paradoxically forget time as you invest yourself in something that is the opposite of endings, the opposite of death, is not life, it is wonder. And this is what books hold for us. What's past is prologue, another author, not Chekhov. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> that's the Chekhov bell. Uh, Shakespeare wrote that. What past is prologue. What has occurred informs us where we take our next step. And to you, David, what has passed is grain of truth. It ends today. And I'd like to thank you for uh, my contribution to come in and ramble about various authors for 90 seconds and bestow on you today the greatest honour I can bestow on any person that is to look her in the eye and say, you, David Innes, are a rock star. Yay! Aww. I am utterly thrilled and delighted. Thank you. Uh, you were talking about there about um, a book holds the concept of time. And yes. Time there. If you imagine yourselves panel at the end of time itself and there is a figure, a deity, uh, something that makes noises, whatever the case might be, <laughs> what would you hope that, what would you like to engage in conversation with this deity or nonsense or blob or whatever the case, or what would you like them to say? Tim, what would you like to have a conversation with at the end of time itself? Oh, boy. Uh, no conversation. No conversation? Just no, I'd say, you know, because I think there's a risk. That if you know things, it kills the beauty of them. So at that point, mm. I just say, right, you exist. That's good enough. Thank God. <laughs> I don't just disappear. We all just don't disappear into a meaningless void. The fact that someone's there that you could have a conversation with, that's enough, I hope. Oh, that sounds great. Oh. What about you? That's very profound. I'm delighted. Uh, Nussie, what would you, who, <laughs> or perhaps even who would you like to meet at the end of time itself? Uh, it's interesting, actually. My mind automatically goes to, I guess, family members and friends who are no longer with us. Mm. Uh, because I was brought up Catholic, don't hold it against me. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I've often struggled with like what happens afterwards. What is that? My family is very much like they're looking down on us, and I'm like, okay, I don't like I don't know if that's true. I don't know if they I don't know where these people are, but I would love to, I guess, be with them again. Mm-hmm. That would be very lovely. What about you, Mr. Hedgraft? I have a disco record that I found at a <laughs> at a jumble sale, and it, it it's called Disco Saturday Nacht. And it's all the German composers set to disco. I want to actually jam disco with Beethoven himself. Um, Fantastic. What about you, Scott? Uh, What would you like to see at the end of time itself? I was having a conversation with someone looking at it from the other way, from like the beginning of time, and he was sort of a semi-religious person, and I was trying to explain to him how crazy it is that that, that, um, someone would take 65 million years to come up with us if we're like them. And it works the other way, and like we won't last till the end of time. But the things that will last are sort of microbial, tiny organisms that live amongst us. And we're almost like they've built us to carry them, if there is a consciousness. So that's what's going to be left at the end of these worlds, is these sort of uh, strange single-celled organisms that lived on us and used us for their purposes. And I'd just like to let them know that in our way we mattered as well. Oh, good. Otherwise, I would have thought you were just being... Yeah. <laughs> uh, to next speak on the topic of the end of time itself is Michelle Nussie representing the zoo. Nussie, your time begins now. Thank you, David. I would like to talk about the end of time itself. 
Genetically speaking. <laughs> and for many animals, genetically speaking, it is the end of time itself if they can't p- pass on their genetics. To the point that many animals will, uh, if they become dominant in whatever group they're in, kill the babies that are there. So the females will go into estrus and they can have their own babies and pass on their own genetics. So it's a very strong push for a lot of animals. I'm going to talk specifically about the Hamadryas baboon. <laughs> the Hamadryas baboon, they have discovered... So the Hamadryas baboon lives in groups. They live in groups, bands, clans and uh, troops, depending on how many are in there. Um, and within that, there's a dominant male, and it's a silverback baboon. So just like we have silverback gorillas, there is a silverback baboon. Mm. It has a hormonal shift when they become dominant. Usually in the wild, they're dominant for three or four years, and then they'll get pushed off their perch by another baboon. In that time, they need to basically have as many babies as they can to get their genetics out there. That's their instinct. Um, they've discovered that out in the wild, in groups of baboons, it is actually not the most dominant baboon whose babies are being had. It's the second and third most dominant baboons. And the way they do it is this. The dominant baboon, it's their job to care for the family of baboons, to make sure that they're safe, give them enough food, impregnate the ladies, and to sort out any trouble that's happening. So this is what they'll do. The second dominant baboon will go and cause trouble. The most dominant one will be like, what's going on over here? And go and work it out. Meanwhile, the third dominant baboon (laughs) is having his way with the ladies. (laughs) Then they tag team and the third dominant baboon will go and cause trouble and he'll be like, right, what's going on over here? And while he's away, the second dominant baboon has his way with the ladies. And because the dominant baboon never sees them do this, he thinks all the babies are his and looks after them. How freaking smart is that? So there you go. Therefore, these baboons will not see the end of time itself, genetically speaking. There you go. That's awesome. I like that even to baboons, it's not about brawn, it's about brains. Yeah, Yeah, and you know, each, uh, you know, there are a lot of species that the next um, generation are stronger and bigger. With baboons, they're smarter, they're wilier. So watch out. Um, Speaking of the end of time itself. (laughs) <laughs> they, they're going to get us. <laughs> I've just got this picture of an obscure Simpsons reference with the chimp that's been sent to space. <laughs> sitting in the chair. No, I don't think we'll be telling you that. Um, <laughs> um, our next speaker is Matthew. <laughs> I'm feeling very... Um, uh, uh, I fell in the deep prior. Now, <laughs> our next speaker is Matthew Havegraft, representing music to present on the theme of the end of time itself. Matthew, your time begins now. Thank you so much. The thing is that Messiaen, the French composer, already did a Debbie Downer on us, and he <laughs> composed Quartet for the End of Time while he was in a concentration camp. <laughs> but luckily, in so doing, he created occasional music, so dinner music, sexy beach party music, uh, assembling IKEA furniture music, that kind of thing. Fireworks music, which a time-travelling Haydn then took back to the 1700s with him for King George, uh, who went mad from it. But... The problem, the thing is that music for the end of time being a niche has two major problems. One is it a great big niche. There's not a lot of opportunity for airtime. There's only going to be one, and I don't imagine at the time people are going to just down tools for a tick and pop on their favourite end of time CD <laughs> or anything. Oh, look at that mushroom cloud. Let's just pop on the end of time by Engelbert. <laughs> the second thing is it's a massive wank. Because 
who is the most egotistical uh, musician who's going to assume that people will think appreciating their music is more important than the end of freaking time? So I submit to you, if you could be around to hear it, it might sound like an RMIT art student who's better at writing a prop than they are at writing music. It could sound like a hipster angst digital intervention soundscape or... Kanye West. But I, sim- <laughs> I think there is only one thing we will hear at the end of time itself. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, often it's talked about uh, the idea of having uh, music that accompanies moments in life, the end of time, or things like that. If, for Mr. Hadgraf, you had uh, the opportunity to design the music soundtrack to your life, what would be some of the moments and songs to go with that Oh, <laughs> I think, I am what I am. <laughs> I am, yeah, right. Right? Yes, yes. It'd be disco, naturally. Mm. Um, and there would be a grand ballroom scene. Yes. That's very good. What about you, Scott? What um, would be the music accompanying uh, moments of your life? Oh, you've asked a similar question once before. And I remember... Oh, <laughs> I remember... <laughs> I'm a, I remember answering that it would be Nine Inch Nails every day is exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> I was in a downbeat mood that day. <laughs> <laughs> oh. What about you, Tim? Yakety sax. Press play anytime. And you, Nussie? Oh, I don't know. I think the music that I would like to be hearing for my soundtrack is different. <laughs> Maybe I'd be embarrassed for everyone else to hear it. Because yeah. I want to put on like cool music and just walk around like this. Yeah. <laughs> Probably in slow Staying motion. Staying alive. That's what cool people do. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like that song from, what's the song from Kill Bill Volume 2 that everyone always fights to? What's that one called? Do you guys know Pretty sure one? it's Yakety Sax. Yeah. <laughs> Yakety Sax then. Thanks, Scott. Actually, they speed it up. To uh, the, song, <laughs> the song I would love at the end of time, especially if there's hordes of monsters, is actually a track that was introduced to me by my very lovely housemate, which was a track by the a cappella group, The Idea of North, and their version of St. Thomas, which I absolutely love. <laughs> <laughs> ah! Do you live your life in an elevator? <laughs> oh, God! <laughs> This, oh, it's killing me! This must be... Ah! <laughs> <laughs> ah! Do, do you see the apocalypse as being like a lovely 50s kitchen with the conflagration outside the window? It's yeah. a bit like Fallout 4, really. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. That is how I would like <sighs> to see the end of time. Uh, but now, our final speaker is Scott McAteer, representing Monsters to present on the theme of... The End, end of, of Time, time itself. itself! Uh, Scott, your time begins now. Time. The clock that ticks. Tick. (laughs) Tick. (laughs) Tick. In one of the very first grain of truths, I spoke about liminality, about how that's a core concept behind monsters. It's the space in between, the in-between spaces where monsters dwell, the the night that is in between days, uh, the the monsters in between man and beast, uh, between alive and dead, or the space between your bed and the floor. Now, monsters live in the in-between spaces, but there's an in-between space that no one's ever been to. That's the unexplored space in between moments, between the ticks of a clock. No one's ever been there because we can't go there. Just like we can't see in the darkness or we don't venture into the forest, we can't venture in between the moments because we live in the moments. 
Now, there's also a scientific concept, which is called entropy, which is very complicated. It involves maths um, and those squiggly lines that aren't even proper numbers anyway. (laughs) But basically, it comes down to the idea that time is slowing down, that the space in between the moments is getting slower, just like a watch that's winding down. Not a digital watch, obviously, uh, but one of those old-style watches that people think are cool even though it does less things. And it's slowly winding down, tick, tick, tick. And as time passes, those spaces in between moments gets bigger. And that monster called entropy gets bigger and bigger. And all the other monsters fade away. The werewolf loses his hair. The vampire turns to dust in the Melbourne sun. The walking dead just stop. The hodag fell down a crack in the earth. And Grobnik the monster has no more beds to hide under because all the children are gone because he ate them. (laughs) And so as the moments get smaller and smaller... And the entropy monster gets bigger and bigger until those moments of life are just tiny grains of truth in a sea of darkness and emptiness. And so it goes with the universe as well. The great monster entropy pulls the movement of the stars, pulls the spinning of worlds and the very tick, tick, tick of time itself until finally the great monster in between the ticks will eat the last of the moment and with the last tick, tick, Time will finally stop, and all that will be left is the hungry monster that lives in the space between moments, empty, cold, and hungry. There will be no more grains of truth. So treasure these grains of truth while you have them, as I have treasured grain of truth. Jeez. Tell that one to your kids tonight as they try to go to sleep. I want to sing the neighbours theme. Everyone <laughs> 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 needs good neighbours <laughs> who will be eventually be sucked into the withering pit of empty entropy. But the question I would like to ask the panel, starting with Scott, uh, at the end of time, whatever you would like to um, yeah, believe that would to be, where do you want to be? If you had an option to be somewhere at the end of time, could be the end of your time, could be the end of the time, where would you like to be? Well... There's an idea, and it's sort of semi-scientific, that that, um, energy never dies, it just changes form. And as it expands and slowly stops, like, we're all going to be part of that energy. Um, But after it stops, there's an idea that something else happens, is that once it stops, it starts pulling back, pulling back the other direction into a singularity where everyone is one and everyone is together. Oh, that is very lovely. Tim, where would you like to be at the end of time itself, or end of time for you? Uh, I, I would like to be in 7-Eleven. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I checked out, David. <laughs> 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 it's just, Scott's really rattled me. <laughs> it's all right, buddy, you're okay. It's okay. Entropy, singularity, <laughs> singularity. Oh, delightful. Well, that's the end of the round, so it's now back over to the Boffins for a score update. Boffins. Yes, Tim Redmond. I want a boffins machine at home. I believe the wild they need a job now. They're like hire him just to do that. 
Well, now it's time for the analysis and application round. Our, our team, uh, panel is divided into teams of two, and they must apply their skills to solve an application task. Nussie and Tim. Yes. Yes. I challenge you to be two office workers. Tim, you have a it's major... A challenge in itself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. Tim, I, saw, I saw an yes. office once. You, Tim, you have a major issue. Yes. Osnasi, you're that colleague in the office who is trying to be supportive, but really not. Um, <laughs> the major issue is that uh, the Kraken is destroying <laughs> the building. <laughs> oh, hey, Nuss. Tim, buddy. Oh, a little problem. Little. You, did you want a coffee? I just made some. Oh, on the little yeah, coffee machine. I, I guess. You I'm go, just, buddy. you know, I feel so blah, thanks. Oh, well, you know, apparently blah is very in these days. Is it? Yeah, people but wearing grey and everything. There's a giant squid-like monster from the deep destroying the building. I just don't <laughs> know what to make of it. <laughs> well, you know, I think that we're very lucky we don't have to pay for our own renovations. <gasps> <laughs> And you like seafood, right? I do. I do like seafood. Well, there you go. Maybe we can just nip off a couple of the tentacles, do a bit of deep frying. He could renovate it into a seafood restaurant. There you go. Tickety-boo. And you could still have a casual Friday. Oh, (laughs) my productivity has gone up 12%. Fantastic. I'll write that down. Uh, See you, Nuss. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim and Nussie. Is that what office people say? I don't know. <laughs> Pretty sure. You office people don't make other people coffees. I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, I'm uh, sorry. Where is our truth? <laughs> uh, Scott and uh, Scott and Matt. That's us. Is that us? Yes, that is you. I challenge you to talk about the weather. Oh, <laughs> what I do best. Uh, as if you were a Fox News report. <laughs> so I'd like you to talk about the weather as if you were a Fox News report. When you're ready, away you go. Temperatures but, soar to the high 40s. Is Obama responsible? <laughs> <laughs> Analytics show that the first black president caused a singularity in the weather that causes everything to go cloudy. And so, I know that science is behind this. Now, what do you think, Dwayne? A, peop- a lot of people are saying that this is tied into somehow to global warming. I don't see how that's possible. I don't see how 40-degree weather connects with global warming. To me, I'm just saying it's more likely to do with the Bible. Well, I think this is... Yeah, the Bible being the one truth in this world, as, as well as rainy days, we know, of course, that the, uh, that the apocalypse never happened. And we know right. that this, this uh, weather is just an Obama administration cover-up well, for I th- a I fiscal respon- irresponsibility. I think Obama needs to take a good, hard look at himself and see the damage that he is doing to this country with these 40-degree temperatures clearly linked to his high tax rates. Coming up next, one man's amazing macrame connection... Correct, uh, oh, <laughs> With a hair's bread. Kitsch. I really mm. want to see that box. Macrome gags are difficult to pull off. <laughs> I know. Very hard. How could I, I put my want, name to this? Should have gone with knitting. I, I, I really <laughs> love the idea of this Fox News report just going, ah, oh, f it. It's all sh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Bill O'Reilly did one. Well, now it's back over to the Boffins for a score update. Boffins. Yes. Michelle This is my new favorite thing. 
Uh, our next round is a favourite of mine, which is d- called Delcy from Reservoir. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, you'll be hosting a radio callback show. Yes. Scott, you'll be the expert in the studio. Uh, Nussie and Matt, you'll be callers in to the studio. Uh, the scenario is this. Uh, it's the zombie apocalypse mm. and the world is burning around you. Mm. So when you're ready, Tim, to host your radio callback show, mm. over to you. Hi everyone, survivors out there. Welcome to Survival AM. And we've got him in that studio, Scott, Hi, an hey. expert on uh, post-apocalyptic survival. Pleasure to be here. What's the uh, the crucial thing a person needs to get through another day, Scott? Crucial thing is preparation. Preparation. Um, I just want to advise everyone, my new book is out there called Preparing the Zombie Apocalypse. It's in mm. stores now, so smash the window of the stores mm. and steal the books. <laughs> Loot. Because the whole system of currency is broken down. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, fire and food. The two Fs, fire, food, and fun. <laughs> Which, if fire and food combined in a preparatory matter, means exactly. cooking. Exactly, cooking. <gasps> we've got a call. Oh, we've got, we've a, got call? a call on line two. We've got Nussie from Moorabbin. Hi, Nuss. What's your problem in the apocalypse? G'day. Um... Look, I'm really glad I got through. I found uh, the mm. only phone box left in Moorabbin. Oh! <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a bit of a line here. Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> Good to hear that order is still in place. Yeah. Uh, look, I actually had a question uh, about cooking specifically. Yeah. Um, I've been hoarding specific things. Oh, I've got yeah. quite a lot of um, salted herring. Oh, salted herring. Yes, uh, and, and also as a spice, I've actually been hoarding cinnamon. So... Oh. I was wondering, what could I cook with this that will keep my family happy? Well, I would suggest cooking some salted herring with cinnamon. That's probably your <laughs> your best option. Wow. Um, yeah, it could, could be fire. I mean, if you make fire, be careful. It will attract some zombies, but you can keep them at bay with the fire. Mm. Tell me, tell me uh, Nassif, um, if you could cook anything to remind yourself of the good old times when we paid taxes and had public transport, <laughs> what would you cook? Oh, I'd probably cook some tea, I reckon. A nice cup of tea, I'd cook cup that. Of tea. Yes. Cup of tea. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? That would be yeah, nice. I mean, tea. The, you know, I've still got my tea, my last tea bag. I was actually drinking tea when the uh, apocalypse hit. <laughs> so I, I did keep that bag. I've rinsed it out a few times. Unfortunately, not that much tea left. I do still have the bag, though, so I suck on that every now and then. So there's, there's today's message for the apocalypse. Always rinse your bag. Rinse your bag, Thank you, yeah. Nussie. Oh, another caller. Another caller, this one from Footscray. We've got Matt, who's got a bit of a problem with being a little bit bitten, Scott. Ooh, you've been bitten, Matt. How are you feeling? Oh, bit sore. Bit sore. I was on the way down the other day to the, to the Glenroy corpse pit. Oh, oh such a good It's one. a good corpse pit. It's, it's one of the best pits. corpse pits we've it's got. Large. <laughs> now, where where were you? Where were you bitten? Like not not obviously you were bitten. In at the <laughs> where? Uh, I understand that. Where on your where on your body were you bitten? Uh, on my flank. On your oh. flank. Oh, just I was uh, I was at the side of the corpse pit, and I, 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 it's not a very good corpse pit because not everything in there is dead. And hey hey, there's no need for negativity. Yeah, now. I mean. Oh, that that's true. Yes, positive new day. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> And it, it, uh, it caught out and it, and it bit me on the flank. It bit you on the flank. Hey. Now, could you be... I mean, the usual thing that we do is what we call excise the wound. Excise so, the wound. So, I mean, if it's a leg or a hand, that's pretty straightforward. We mm. just chop it off chop with it off. our big knife. I hope you bought your big knives from when they were on sale. I'm fair I'll put some Dettol on it. Okay, Dettol's not really going to cut it. I mean, you, you're probably infected. How long ago were you bitten? 
Uh, oh, there was only a couple of... Oh, oh, but none of my clocks work anymore. Okay, was, but was it today or was it yesterday? <laughs> oh, no, it was today. Okay, yeah. earlier in the day? Yeah, okay. that long could you, could you put Beryl on the phone? Certainly. Okay. <laughs> Beryl, are you there? Hello! <laughs> Beryl, get out of the house. He's infected. Get out of the house or shoot him in the head, Beryl! Alrighty. <laughs> now what? Okay. Now... I'll, I'd better take him to the Glenroy Court. Take him to the Glenroy Court. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the battle! That's going to be the new, uh, the, the new thing for Glenroy now. Come to Glenroy. We have a corpse pit. Oh, they've got a corpse pit. Let's go to Glenroy Corpse Pit. Now open till 2 a.m. We'll take the kids. <laughs> oh, that's really awful. Uh, <laughs> We're not going to dump them. Oh, right. I'm just going to let them throw <laughs> stones at the corpses. Oh. just going to drop them off at the corpse pit for a while. Okay. What are you thinking, uh, Well, it's now back over to the boffins for a score update. Boffins. Bing. Yes. Matthew Hadgrove. That's nice. Well, it wouldn't be the end of time on this panel game show. <laughs> Sorry. If it wasn't for everyone's favourite game in the whole wide world, How, How Delightful! Each pair of panellists needs to say as many delightful things about the topic as possible in 60 seconds. If they say anything that's undelightful, the other team can make a noise like this. And I, or I can make a noise like this, and I will give it back to the other topic. Uh, whoever says the most delightful things in 60 seconds gets the points. So we'll start with Tim and Nussie. Mm. Yes. And you have to say as many delightful things as you possibly can about the afterlife. Oh. Okay, about the afterlife, as many delightful things as you can, starting now. Well, because we're not there, it can be anything that you want it to be. It's mm. pretty delightful. Think of the most uh, joyous thing you can now. Let's all think of it together and see if we can use about a minute to come up with a visualisation. <laughs> There's a field, a sunny field perhaps. Might be a lake, I don't know. Oh, why are you interrupting there, Scott? I, I get hay fever, so a sunny field is oh, pretty undelightful. That is, that is quite <laughs> awful. That is quite awful, yes. Uh, you've got about 45 seconds to go. Continuing on, Scott and Matt, about delightful things about the afterlife. Oh, all, all, all the dogs. Dogs who died are there, and they they're are all running around and happy. All of those cats that features in memes in the late 90s are there too. And Hitler, he's there. Wait a minute. <laughs> That's, uh, you walked uh, into that one. I, I think we can see, we, you know. Well, I can yeah, see we, dogs and cats you don't, don't like get cats? <laughs> 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 that would be... That's nonsense. Making over to Nussie and Tim. Yeah, if dogs you... and cats getting along causes Hitler. <laughs> Science. 34 seconds to go about the afterlife. Continuing on. Uh, the afterlife, I think, is very light. Both, like, bright, you know, lights, like, as in... Li- I don't know. How do you tell the difference between light and light? Anyway, light as in weight mm. and light as in light. <laughs> Can someone put my hand actions onto the podcast, please? It's, it's, it's all... And everything and nothing at the same time. And in the afterlife, you get to see those precious people and you finally get to say those things. And there's no doubt in the oh, afterlife. Why are we interrupting there? One of those people will be my Auntie Judith. On oh, oh God, well, that's Judith. the Auntie Judith clause. We can't possibly have that. Yeah. So with nine seconds continuing, Scott and Matt about the afterlife. Uh, Mama Cass will be there. Yes, and we will be freed from the confines of our bodies. I and we will exist to... as pure energy. Which means... Oh, oh we've, why are we interrupting? <laughs> Ah, uh, because there'll be no Mikey. Oh. 
I, I think that's giving that's back to them. <laughs> one and a half seconds to go. Continuing on, Scott and Matt, about why the afterlife. Cake. Cake. Ah, Infinite cake. Tiger, round of applause. Is cake in the afterlife again? Yes. Phew. Pretty uh, sure. It's in the Bible. Okay, so... <laughs> Jeez, we're Bible and Nazi heavy today. <laughs> so, currently on four delightful things is Scott and Matt, but on seven delightful things Ooh. is Tim and Nussie. So give it a Oh. Oh. How delightful. Uh, and we're going to start uh, the next one here, where Scott and Matt... Uh, you'll need to start with this next round, and you need to say as many delightful things as you can about a nuclear winter. Oh. So, a nuclear winter start, uh, starting now. Um, everyone loses their hair, so hair maintenance becomes a lot more simple. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Oh, it's cold uh, because of the, the ash, and so the weather is a lot more stable. You don't need to plan whether or not to wear a jacket or not. You always need a because jacket. Because of the ash, your garden is more fertile. It is much more fertile. Um, mutant Creatures make life a joy of meeting new and interesting things each day. They do. They just they just perk up your day with conversations well, and interesting noises and the, those, those little gestures they the do. The blood from constantly bleeding from your nose means that you never get lost. You can uh, always find your way We back. won't have blood coming out from your nose there. <laughs> Continuing on with uh, Nuss and Tim, mm. uh, you've got 26 seconds to tell me more delightful things about nuclear winter. Uh, also, I actually think because it is so cold, your blood will freeze, so you don't have to worry about blood noses. Yeah, no more blood noses, and yeah. you can build a snowman that literally glows. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can also build an ash man. Oh, uh, Sorry, on a technicality, you can't build a snowman because your blood has frozen and you can't move. You said it yourself. Oh. I, I'm oh, just going to also... something out of your body freezes. In, oh. in a nuclear winter, there'll be no more pedants interrupting with logic. <laughs> uh, look. No more logic. Uh-huh. Up with which I cannot <laughs> Well, considering a nuclear winter is perhaps one of the most illogical things that could occur on this planet what? because there would be something done by government, I will give it back over to Tim and Nussie. Oh. If I had a nuclear bomb, I'd shoot it right now. <laughs> We're 12 more. <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. I don't. Okay. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> Tim and Nuss continuing yes. on about a nuclear winter. Continuing now. Well, I guess we can't bomb the Middle East anymore because all the planes will be gone. That's good. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and take it home, Tim. <laughs> silences will be uh, much more meaningful. And that's the end of time. <laughs> You're a round of applause. <laughs> that is me taking it home. Nice. Can you give us an example of that meaningful yeah. silence? I cannot. <laughs> <laughs> No, sir. <laughs> Okie dokie. Well, at the end of that round, Scott and Mac got 10 points, but on 12 delightful things oh, was yes! Tim and Nuss. Yes! Round of applause! I was delighted the whole time. Scott lost a point for threatening thermonuclear <laughs> holocaust. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough, I guess. Yeah. Always. Yeah. That's, that's your unfortunate go-to. <laughs> uh, well, that's the end of the round, so it's now over to a points update from the Boffins. Boffins. Yes, Scott McIntyre. Of course, I didn't threaten them with nuclear water, but to win that round, I totally didn't. Before we find out who won today's show, it's now time to reveal the answer to our Grain of Truth Connection Challenge. Firstly, did anyone on the panel get the connection between literature, the zoo, monsters, and music? Yes. 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 All teams first. Um, Stephen Sondheim is oh. currently working on a musical version of The Hound of the Baskervilles, which oh. covers all four. Fantastic. Yes, it does give a round of applause. That's an excellent answer. 
Uh, Matthew Hepcraft. Yes, indeed. It's um, Davros, simply because, of course, there was that big epic... I don't, I'm sketchy on Doctor Who trivia, but it had David Tennant in it, and it was about the end, the planets or something were in a thing. And, of course, they... I'm sure Sarah yeah. Jane read a book. And <laughs> the music yeah. in it. Uh, look, for his half-assed attempt, round of applause to Matthew yes. Hepcraft. Anyone else on the panel? I was going to say Planet of the Apes. Well, why would it be Planet of the Apes? Because it was originally a French book. Um, there's, the apes were in a zoo, in, uh, specifically, a, I think it's Escape from the Planet of the Apes, where the, the apes are in a zoo. It's in the 70s. Ricardo Montalbán's in it. Um, there's quite good music in it. it. It's very arty and sort of jazzy. Um, and there are monsters in it. But who are the monsters? The apes or man? Oh. Classic Sally. Good answer. Uh, well, the connection I had was, of course, zombie apocalypse. Yes, ah. uh, of course. Uh, zombies are monsters, but can also be sympathetic creatures. Mm. In the Flesh is a beautiful TV series about zombies trying to reintegrate back into society. And if you haven't watched it and shed a tear, I'd recommend doing so. There have been books about literature, including World War Z, but one of the most fascinating examples of literature is a children's book uh, by Matt Mogged called "That's Not Your Mommy Anymore." <laughs> Which I highly recommend finding. Uh, the TV series Zoo simulates a zombie apocalypse type scenario, but with animals rising up instead of zombies. Oh, yeah. And according to the internet, Komodo dragons, vultures, rats, maggots, and piranha fish will save you during a zombie apocalypse due to their propensity of eating dead flesh. Yeah, that's true. So there we go. And there's been many musical tracks about the zombie apocalypse, many dubstep in particular, but including the uh, Borgor and Skidope's internet sensation, Unicorn Zombie Apocalypse. Yes. Mm. What about Zombie? Zombie? Oh, of course. Also, Zombie? Actually, with my voice, I could do that quite a bit. on the phone. There's a great band called Zombina and the Skeletones as well. They're oh, fantastic. There we go. Check them out. Very good. But now, Boffins, could you please determine from your working out who has won the 126 million viewers? <laughs> Can we have some deliberation time? Certainly, I shall go and say this then. Um, now, would you like some deliberation music? <laughs> it's perfect. Zombie. Yes, please. Zombie. Zombie. <laughs> There's a few people I additionally want to thank as well. We've been thanking a lot of people, and um, the thing for this show is that the Wesleyan have just said yep to all of this show, and they've never been a problem, been the loveliest venue to deal with, and I've just. Um, been able to do this thing for several months. So please give a big round of applause to the Wesleyan. Take a bow. Um, All of last year, uh, we had a guy who's uh, taken a little bit of step back from the photography world, but he made us all look fantastic, and we all have great publicity photos for any (laughs) from now until the end of time. And he was just fabulous for taking all photos throughout last year. I want you to give a big round of applause. He's not here today, but uh, Mr. Willie Serta Jr. Um, For every panellist who's been on the show, I've always been grateful that there's people who have stepped on. Uh, from anyone who just came in once for like uh, university professors like Associate Professor Martin Bird to the incredibly handsome and ridiculously famous Dr. Brad Mackay. <laughs> um, even all the way to the New Zealand, having the, a New Zealand show, have, being asked to bring that to a festival. 
uh, all the people that just turned up to Vicky Carrier Carcass, to a lot, basically the entire ensemble of Impro Melbourne at one point, <laughs> uh, and the Improv Conspiracy and things like that. The panellists, it's you guys, so they're just marvellous. Um, you came prepared, you did the thing, you had fun, you were delightful. So for every panellist who's been on Grain of Truth, please give them a big round of applause. Yay! <laughs> However... There is one person I do want to thank uh, more than anybody else. When you, you, know, you do a show like this and you think that uh, this is just a bunch of stuff that happens and sometimes uh, you get people say, in impro, one of the things I always uh, w- uh, complain about is teachers who go, yeah, it's great, it's great, it's great, it's great, it's great, it's great. Actually, it's all crap. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I always appreciated someone who told me the truth a lot and... Someone who was always supportive of me as a performer and of the show, he would come up to month after month after month to set this beautiful... He designed uh, table covers. He designed all of the things on front there, the banners and things like that. Uh, he's always been supportive and he's always tells me where things have gone right, where things have gone wrong. He's the person I always trust and just amazing. And he doesn't require any payment, doesn't require anything. He just wants to see this show be amazing. And I really want a big, humongous, big round of applause for the official pun vetter, set dresser, production manager, chauffeur, uh, and one of my absolute best friends, Mr. Asher Cameron. Please go ahead. It's especially delightful because he hates compliments and I've just made him squirm in his seat. Uh, but I think now, hopefully, the boffins have, you know, saved World War II by now and have gone and done all the working out. And you can tell us now who has won the 126 million viewers. Bing! Yes! Michelle Nassi and the audience! Matt just made me stand up by saying, show us your summary frock. And I was like, it, okay. <laughs> Classic head graft. Um, Michelle Nussie, yes. um, what are you going to do with your 126 million viewers? I'm going to make them watch everything that <laughs> I do. <laughs> until the end of time. Time itself. That's the end of the program and series, and I hope you enjoyed it. Our website is www.creativetruth.com.au. You can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash creativetruth. And on Twitter, at creativetruth. And that leads me to thank our panel, Tim Redman, Michelle Lassar, Matthew Handcraft, and Scott McAteer. Our buffer of the week, Brendan Shelley. Theme music composed by Matthew Handcraft and arranged by Michael Bell and Orange Studios. Our logo is on the top of our A sound retort, our armor fatigue, property managers, and Chesler, and official fun with Ashley Cameron. Our venue, the worst thing ever. Our radio host, Darius, our splendid day! This has been a turn up production. Behold the misery. Ladies and gentlemen, the grain of truth himself, Mr. David Innes!